May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I think one of the things about people, sinful human beings like us, is that we have a very conflicted relationship with the word of God. Let me give you an example. When someone has died, and I'm not saying this to criticize anybody, it's just an observation from dealing with funerals and things and the process of death and dying, is you often find that people are craving, bereaved people crave a sign from heaven. They crave some kind of knowledge that their loved one is well, and that can sometimes be all sorts of things. I've heard people say, you know, their favorite bird landed in the garden, or a butterfly landed on their arm, or there was a rainbow, or whatever. And this is um, reassuring for people. Now, when someone tells me something like that, they say, do you know what happened? And they tell me. Now, what I tend to say to them, I say to them, I say, oh, those things certainly are mysterious. So, you know, I can't explain everything that happens at all. But I think maybe the best way to take that is to imagine as though it's a tap on the shoulder from heaven saying to you, there's more to reality than you usually realize. It's time to seek me and to listen to what I have said. That's what I tend to say. Take it as an opportunity to seek out God. Because when it comes to life and death, which is after all what we want to know about, there's actually only one voice that's worth listening to, which is the voice of Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, dead, buried, and then rose again on the third day to claim authority over the living and the dead. There's only one authoritative voice. But here is what is striking. This is where we get into the conflicted relationship that people have with the word of God. The same people who crave those heavenly signs very often simply just don't want to know what Jesus says. They're just not interested in what Jesus says again and again. They want the knowledge that God can give, but... They want to, that they'd rather have that knowledge through the kind of uncertain whispers, the ambiguous signs, rather than through the um, clearly documented word of God, plainly and clearly revealed. Now, talking about a conflicted relationship with God, Saul is about as conflicted as you get. King Saul, Israel's first king, he's the person we're paying attention to. This is the last of our series of sermons in the book of 1 Samuel, um, and after a strong start, what we found was that Saul rejected the Lord, and so the Lord rejected him as king. Now, why did the Lord reject him? The answer is because he would not obey the word of God. The prophet Samuel taught him the word of God, and he wouldn't obey it. Yet, here he is in the deepest crisis of his life, and he craves the word He's desperate for the word of God in this moment. Now, we're going to approach this, frankly, very disturbing incident under four headings. There's lots for us to learn here. And first of all, there is for us a tragedy to ponder. There's a tragedy that we've got to ponder here. And the tragedy is that in the deepest crisis of his life, for Saul, deepest crisis of Saul's life, the Lord won't speak to him. The Lord is silent. So we join King Saul as he's there on the hill, um, uh, looking on, he's on the hill of Gilboa, and he's looking northwards over the vast 
um, uh, Valley of Jezreel, and he's looking at the Philistine army encamped on the opposite side of the valley at Shunem. And verse 5, we read there in, the, the, in 1 Samuel 28, page 326, we read there, uh, verse 5, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Now, when we come to God our Father in the name of Jesus, he is always ready to hear us, to answer us in our time of need. But the tragedy here is that the Lord is no longer listening to Saul. He will not answer Saul. Because we read, look, verse 6, we're told there, Saul had inquired of the Lord. He'd, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him by dreams, by urim, or by the prophet. Urim, by the way, is a, is a, was a means. It was a means of like pulling lots. It was, an, it was a permitted means that the priest would use to discern the will of God. Saul desperately wants to know what only God can know. He wants to know how the battle's going to go the next day. He's desperate to know what's going to happen to him. But there is a silence in heaven. God will not answer him. And he knows it. First, just look at verse 15. This is how Saul sums up the situation. And it's true. He says, God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by the prophet, by prophets or by dreams. Now, the question is, why has God left him? And the answer is, because Saul has persistently rejected the word of the Lord. It has gone on for too long. He, the, the prophet Samuel was, was dead, but he ignored the prophet Samuel anyway. And he couldn't go to the priests. Why not? Because he'd murdered them. He had murdered the priests. He slaughtered about 80 of them. That's why he couldn't go to the priests. He had cut off the voice of God. And so God had left him to go his own way. Now that is the tragedy that we need to ponder. You know, our instinct, I think, is to think that when we um, do something wrong, our instinct is that is God's going to get me. He's going to get me. Or that that's what the, the people around, you know, that's what in, the, in, in our culture people think. If they do something wrong, God's going to get me. And critics of the Christian faith will often say, well, where is God? I mean, he hasn't, you know, all these people live in, in, go on living in their sin and he hasn't come to get them. But that's not how he tends to work in this world. God's judgment in this world, we need to understand this, works in a different way. God doesn't say, sin and I'll get you. He says, sin and I will leave you. That is chilling. But that's the truth. Go on living in sin, and he says, eventually I will leave you, and the chance will be over. Very sobering. And that is where Saul is. We turn away from him, and he lets us go our own way. And we think we're getting away with it. But actually, we're not. The very fact he doesn't intervene, that is judgment. That is the judgment. It's tragic. So Saul reaches um, this point of terror. He craves the word of God in this situation, or he sort of does, but the chance is gone. And heaven has nothing to say to him. Ponder that. Fact is that if you're hearing the word of God today, which, well, you're sitting in church, are you listening? If you are hearing the word of God today, actually that is a blessing and a privilege. You're still hearing it. It's here. 
God is being gracious to you and to me because we're hearing the words of God. It is God's mercy to us. But of course, when we hear the word of God, it leaves us terribly exposed as well because if we keep on refusing it, actually, eventually he will leave us. And that was the tragic experience of Saul. Now, we might say to God, we might say, Lord, but that's a bit unfair. Poor Saul, maybe he's changed. Maybe he's in earnest now. Because actually, we're assured that if we repent and come to him in the name of Jesus, actually, we can come back. But the point was that Saul had gone too far. He was not going to do that anymore. He was not going to come back, as we see now. So, first of all, the tragedy to ponder. Secondly, a temptation to resist. Saul, a conflicted relationship with the word of God. Well, how is this for conflicted? Okay. Saul is so desperate for a word from heaven that he's prepared to get it in a way that heaven has forbidden. That is a conflicted relationship with the word of the Lord. He is so desperate for it that he's prepared to break the clearly revealed word of God in order to get it by visiting a medium. So verse 7 Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. Now, call me naive. It wasn't until I started taking funerals when I was a curate um, that I really, and I took lots of funerals as a curate, that was one of the main things I did, was that there are plenty of people who visit mediums. Plenty of them. Perfectly normal, you know, people go and visit a medium. Lots of people will go and visit mediums. This is not just a weird thing that happened in the past. This is just a perfectly contemporary thing. These practitioners promise to link us with the dead. And many people get lured in for perfectly understandable reasons. Of course, it's understandable. Well, we've got to have two facts clear here before we progress with this story. that They're mentioned at the top in verse 3. First of all, it's mentioned the prophet Samuel is dead. And the narrative says that at the start. That's important, of course. And second, also stated at the top, Saul has expelled all the mediums from Israel. That's another fact we have to get clear, which was a good thing to do because God's law, it says the occult of any sort has no place among God's people. Absolutely no place. So Deuteronomy 18, for example, um, verse 10, there shall be found among you no one who burns his sons or daughters in the fire as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. That's that's a sort of a list that basically says, anything to do with the occult, no. Do you know what the word occult um, literally means? It literally means hidden. To occlude, to occlude, it means hidden. And so that's that's the thing about the occult. The Lord, the living God, reveals himself clearly. And he tells us to find life in what he has said clearly and openly. But we don't tend to be content with that. (laughs) Human beings want to go, we want the hidden things. We want to know things. We want to be able, and and, um, we we think that we can find life and and truth if we go, as it were, around God's back, through the hidden ways, so-called. But they don't actually deliver life, they deliver death. They don't deliver truth, they deliver lies. They don't deliver God, they deliver, well, frankly, they deliver Satan. That's what happens. 
if you go that way. And that's why the Lord warns us against it. Now, as a young king, Saul had banished all the mediums, but now he breaks his own law. So he's tipped off about this medium in the village of Endor. Endor is about 10 miles from where Saul is camped, and fascinatingly, it is behind Philistine lines. So in other words, he's so desperate that he actually disguises himself. He endangers his own life by crossing the valley of Jezreel, going through somehow the Philistine lines to find this, um, this, this lady. And when he arrives, she quotes his own law back to him and says, Saul has banned all the mediums. And then Saul has the audacity to reassure her in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. He says, you know, as surely as the Lord lives, um, you will not get into any trouble for this. And so he then requests, he says, you know, use, one of your, use a spirit, um, because that's what mediums think, think they're doing. They're actually being used by spirits, but they think they're using spirits. And um, he says, summon, summon forth Samuel. Now, what happens next is completely and utterly terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. The medium herself is absolutely flawed. In other words, this is not business as usual for this medium, which begs the question, what was business as usual like? Did it actually work what she was doing? I don't know. That's a moot point, not, not said. But the point is that she is not expecting Samuel to appear before her because she is absolutely petrified. The prophet Samuel appears. Now, what are we supposed to make of that, this appearance? Because the Bible is very clear that there can be no communication between the living and the dead. There cannot be. It's not only forbidden, it is actually impossible. The dead are either with Jesus, or they are waiting for the new creation, or they are separated from God, waiting for judgment. The point is, they are not available to answer the call of a medium. It, ca- it, it, is, it is an impossible, it, it cannot happen. Now, it is possible, and I do believe this, and perhaps you do too, that mediums do access otherworldly realities and do get access to certain information. That, that may well be true. If they do that, so, you know, successfully, in inverted commas, that is because demonic spirits are at work mimicking the departed. It is not because real contact is being made, and that is why it is so deceptive. And it exposes people to dangers far beyond anything they bargained for. When people go in for the occult, they think they're fishing in a little English pond. You know, the most you're going to pull out is a little, is a little roach about that big. But you dabble in the occult, and you think you're in control, and you're, going to, you, you're, 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 you're fishing in something that you could actually find consumes you. It's very, very serious business. So, what's happening here? Is this a spirit masquerading as Samuel the prophet? It seems not. The apparition, uh, the words that the apparition speaks are true, um, which is not a characteristic of demons. They lie. And the text clearly presents the words as Samuel's words. So, could the medium be playing a trick? You know, tricks of the trade, power of suggestion, and so on. No, it's unlikely, again, because she knows that she's not in control. She's petrified herself. In fact, the funny thing is, as you read this story, um, you don't hear about any of her kind of jiggery-pokery. You don't know what she's... The point is that she she has not summoned this spirit. This apparition has just appeared before her. 
It's as though it seems that God has allowed this very rare post-death appearance to underline Saul's destiny. There's one other instance of biblical characters appearing um, though dead. Moses and Elijah. If you remember in the story of the transfiguration in the Gospels, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus there. Even though they're dead, they appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Something similar seems to be happening here, that Samuel is thrushed before um, this medium's eyes. So, just to be clear, this story gives us no ground for thinking that mediums work. The appearance of Samuel here has nothing to do with the medium. That's the thing, nothing to do with the medium whatsoever. Besides, um, Saul's visit to this medium, which leaves him paralytic with fear, um, is hardly a good advert (laughs) for visiting one. Yet it is so tempting. It is so tempting. Because in moments of extreme stress and confusion, which, which of course includes bereavement as, as, as one of the, the, the worst imaginable of those situations, we crave the information that only God knows. We long for it. And the occult offers a way of, a, a way of finding it. It offers it to us. It promises to give us God's knowledge, but in a way that avoids God himself. Now, the truth is, though, that the Bible here that I'm holding in my hand, that you're holding in your hand, it delivers to us hundreds of pages of clear divine revelation. God has come to us in in person in Jesus Christ and made himself known, and he has spoken to us. The thing is, though, that we don't tend to like the tone of authority in God's voice. That's why people tend to reject it. Or we don't have the patience to read it, to sit down and learn it. Or we insist on knowing something that he's chosen not to tell us. And so we're tempted to seek knowledge elsewhere. Horoscopes, tarot, clairvoyance. I could just go on listing them. The vague signs that I mentioned at the beginning, or mediums, as Saul did. Flee the temptation. The temptation to flee here. We must flee it. Flee the temptation of seeking divine knowledge apart from and without God. If you've given way to that, there may well be somebody here who's thinking, well, I've done that in the past. Um, then, then uh, they, they, you know, you, you've done it, but, th- but you can ask God for forgiveness. You're hearing the word of God today, and that is God's mercy to you. Come to him. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Get, if, if you have any materials to do with the occult, turn from them and get rid of them. Remove them from your life. Burn them if you have to. Get rid of the things and ask for God's mercy upon you and he will set you free. Well, Saul is anything but free. So, a tragedy to ponder, a temptation to resist. Third, this is sobering, isn't it? A warning to heed. So Samuel says to Saul, verse 19, he says, Saul, tomorrow you're to die. Um, Saul and his sons are going to die. Israel will be defeated. (laughs) Did it help to know that? It left him paralyzed with fear. It left him lying in the dust. How had this happened? How had a reign that had started so well with such blessing ended up with the king of Israel paralyzed by fear in a medium's cave with his face in the dust? Well, verse 18 gives the answer. These are Samuel's words to Saul. This This is why. This has happened, he says, because you did not obey the Lord, 
who did not obey the voice of the Lord and carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. That is why the Lord has done this to you today. That happened in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. The Lord had commanded Saul clearly and unequivocally to destroy the Amalekites completely, all of them, wipe them out, he said. Now we could say, well, hi, why, why so harsh, Lord? Why so harsh? The, the thing is about this, it, wasn't, it, it was about enacting God's judgment. That's what, the, that's what the Amalekite thing was about. It wasn't Saul's war against Saul's enemies. It was God's judgment against his enemies. And the Lord put that into Saul's hands and he said, do it. But Saul didn't obey. He kept back the best bits of the plunder. He let the king of the Amalekites live. And when Samuel challenged him, he just tried to wriggle out of it. He says, well, I almost obeyed. He says, He's, I, I, I disobeyed, but for good, solid spiritual reasons. And, um, you know, I was under lots of pressure. You don't know what it's like for me, Samuel, he said at the time. But none of the excuses changed the fact that he didn't obey the Lord. And disobeying God is no small thing because God is no small God. And so just, just listen. Just listen to these words. They're chilling. These words, they, they were spoken back in chapter 15. And we might not have noticed them when you read through chapter 15. But now, poof, do they hit us. Listen to what Samuel said back in chapter 15. He said, listen very carefully. He said to him, he said, Saul... Rebellion, disobedience, he says, it's like turning to divination. It is like turning to the occult. It's like turning to Satan. Very sobering. You think, why, Lord? Why? Why is rebellion, why is disobedience like turning to the occult? Why, why, would, why do you make that link, Samuel? Because the reason is, the reason we reject the word of God is because we're listening to another voice. Just think back to Eden. Why is it that Adam and Eve rejected the voice of the Lord? It's because they were listening to another voice. You see the logic? If you ignore the word of God, it's because you're listening ultimately to Satan's word. And the warning is obvious, which is we cannot safely disobey the word of God insofar as we know it. We cannot safely persist in doing that. So he demands financial integrity. How's, how are you doing? Sexual purity, marital faithfulness, truth of speech, humility of thought, sobriety of life. God is not okay with us disobeying him. He just, it, 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 he isn't. And we see that in the case of Saul. Now, this morning, the Spirit of God might be pinpointing you and saying, saying there is somewhere you urgently need to repent. Or me. You don't know all that goes on in, in my heart. I don't know all that goes on in your heart, but God does. And he may be saying you need to repent urgently. Now, it's not that we're saved by being obedient. We can only live in obedience, in fact, once we've already been saved. But a real Christian will demonstrate that they are saved by their consistent concern to obey the word of God. And their acceptance of the word's rebuke when we disobey. Whereas consistent disobedience, that is living in a state where we know, this, I know this is, this is not God's way really, but I'm just going to go on in it regardless. That demonstrates, that disobedience demonstrates something else. 
it demonstrates that that person is under the grip of an altogether different spiritual force. And the only way out of that, and there is a way out if you're still hearing the word of God, the way out from that is to turn, obey, and believe the good news of God in Jesus Christ. So Saul's story, it's a tragedy for us to ponder. There's a temptation here to resist. There's a warning we must heed. And then I want to end this sermon on a frankly unsettling chapter with a final short positive heading to gather these thoughts together, which is that here we have an opportunity to seize. An opportunity to seize. The psalm says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you've heard the word of God today, if you've heard it today, then, uh, th then, uh, and, and then his door, that means that the door of heaven is still open to you. That you're hearing the word of God. What a privilege. God is saying, come in. Come in. Turn from your sins, from whatever it is in the past, and be free. And come in. Come in. Don't refuse to enter. Um, hardening our hearts, that means refusing to enter. It means saying, yeah, I know the door's open, but I'm not coming in. Come in. Now, by that, I mean today is the day for some of us to have turned, to, to, for some of us to turn away from those sins that perhaps we've uh, reasoned away, we've minimalized, we've excused and hidden. Don't let this day go by. Seize the day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Make a change. So for others, you may never have come. And uh, for others, th this day is like the day you have to obey the voice of God for the very first time. You've never obeyed the voice of God. You've never even heard the voice of God summoning you, but you know now he is. He is saying to you, repent, that is turn around in your life and believe the good news. Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me, my son has given his life for you. Receive forgiveness through him. Come, receive my transforming spirit and start life in my kingdom today. Come to me, he says, this is the day. Do not harden your hearts or shut down to me, but come today. That you, you, we want a message from God. You want to hear the word of God from the very heart of heaven without any shadow of a doubt that applies to you? Well, that's it. He loves you. He came for you. His kingdom is open to you. His spirit is given for you if you will receive Christ and believe in him and turn around. See, if we come to him who is the light of the world, and that's the opportunity he offers to us all, we will never walk in darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a really sobering passage. We thank you for its presence in the Bible, even though it's uncomfortable. We pray that you would help each person, including myself, to respond to this word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would be at work through your word now by your spirit and that you would be at work through this day, turning us around into the light. In Jesus' name, amen.